Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hey, Joshua. My God, it's good to see you. Uh, it is good to see you as well. We are uh, we are doing some production magic. <laughs> um, and yeah, much I, younger in the second half. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, so so much younger. Just weeks and weeks younger. I'm I'm sure people will be able to tell. <laughs> uh, this is supposed to still be Joe's takeover. Uh, month, but he wanted to rescind uh, host duties to me today. <laughs> yes, I um, I yielded over. I yielded back to you. Didn't I? Didn't ask. For <laughs> it. So you are you are forcing me to take it back, just so people know it's that. <laughs> yes. Anyways, how how are you, Joe? How are you doing? Oh, uh, I've missed you. I like I'm sitting down getting everything set up, and I was like, man, when w- I can't even remember the last time we did this. I know it's it has been a while again through the magic of uh, production and very long weekends. <laughs> it's been a while since we've actually done this whole thing. Yeah, but we're here. But and we are here. We're back and we're going to do that again <laughs> because we're busy. <laughs> I know we are booked and blessed. Oh, my gosh. It's so <laughs> weird because like there are other I listened. I've been doing. I've been doing the show with you for as long as I've also been a fan and listening to the podcast Las Culturistas, the Bold Yang's podcast. Yeah. And it's so funny kind of like seeing, being along for their podcast journey and then also like our journey and yeah. like a lot of the parallels of like how they're like really busy and like all this stuff and then how it's also we're really busy and it's just, you know... I guess, I guess so. Uh, I think their are... busy might be a different busy than ours, but you correct. Know. <laughs> correct. Well, you mean no one's working now with the writer strike. So, well, this is true. Yes, which we wholly support uh, the writers. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I what was it? I saw like an Amanda Seafried thing where it was like, you know, pay people for their work. It's like that fucking easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't, I really don't even. I don't understand how the writers get so fucked, you know, like, again, I mean, this probably it's dates way back to like probably the beginnings of Hollywood and you know, kind of same with the music industry, like musicians work hard, write all the music, do all the work. And somehow they don't get like paid, you know, in fact, mm-hmm. they can go into massive amounts of debt, getting a, yeah. getting a record contract and being the number one song, uh, you know, so it's like super screwed up. Uh, Cause it's like, you don't, without the script, you have nothing like you can't, Mm-hmm. go in and, and and perform and film nothing yeah <laughs> so like we need writers we need the creative people and ai cannot do that job like i firmly believe like chat gpt cannot write scripts so i mean the production companies can try i guess but i don't i i just don't you, we need human people writing human stories and yeah. um yeah and again, another meme I saw, I did not sign up for the future where the robots get to write poetry and make art while we slave away doing, you know, low pay, you know, horrible work. Yeah. That's the, the yeah, this hellscape we're living in. So, 
Yeah. Anyways, that's my rant on that soapbox. <laughs> Excuse me. No, you make you make a lot of really good points, and they're all things. I mean, again, I support that as well. I think that ChatGPT is a great tool, but it is not a. It should not be a replacement for human creativity. Like it's yeah. also like the paradox of like it needs human creativity and a lot of it in order to be effective. Um. So. And, you know, I don't want, like, I, I want stories that make sense or, you know, are designed to not make sense. Right. Uh, let's put it that way. So, yes, uh, I'm settling in for a very long writer strike. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping that, you know, at the end, and, and uh, also as as of recording this, uh, folks in the SAG union, SAG-AFSTRA, are voting for, uh, voting to authorize a strike for, like, actors and performers as well too so i really hope that if you know if that all goes through that that puts so much pressure on you know on the higher ups because it's at the end of the day like those billionaires can afford it like billionaires yeah. can afford it and it's not gonna it the only hurt that it costs is to the bottom line but again no one needs a billion dollars yeah, exactly. The whole thing's insane. And I think that's like, yeah, I saw that point too, that like the writers are asking for like, it's so little over over a three year period. Like yeah. it's hardly a dent in anyone's, you know, it's like, it's, it's more about just the respect of, you know, I mean, people obviously want to get paid what they're worth, obviously. So it's definitely about that. But it's also just about like, yeah, respecting that, like what we do is important. Like yeah. you, you cannot operate without us. Um, yeah. So or you can all write your own stories, I guess. I, I don't know. I just don't, I, I don't understand. The whole thing just like blows my mind. But it's like everything else, you know, worker, the working class, um, you know, or, or the labor class is always getting, you know, screwed when everything depends. So it's like they've tricked us into thinking that we, you know, are lucky to mm -hmm. be, you know, suffering for this yeah. insane amount of work. Yeah. It's crazy. So go them. Anyways, what else? How what what's going on in your world? Um, you know, um, so my this this year is my family reunion uh, on the island of Guam, and I'll be going and joining the family in July. But my parents are actually there right now. Wow! And um, as of recording this, they uh, the island is in a condition of readiness too of a for typhoons <laughs> for a typhoon oh geez to wow. come through so um for those is that a know, common oh no. go ahead sorry for oh those no no who no don't know. and uh, for those who don't know condition uh, on guam there are four conditions of readiness right so there's typhoons and there's also tropical storms so right now the, the bad one is typhoon so condition readiness four is like uh, the status quo. There's nothing happening. It's just normal. Everything's fine. Condition readiness two um, is like it's coming in the next 24 hours. And condition readiness one is like it's here. So right now in, in condition two, they the government is closed. Schools are closed. Everything wow. is like everything. The island is preparing and batting down the hatches. So wow. Um, like people are being told to like stock up enough food, water and gas for a week. Uh, and 
just getting ready for it to make landfall. Now I say all of this because it sounds bad, right? Like it's a natural disaster. Yeah, I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we talking about <laughs> why are we talking about this? Scary it's, movies today. What? It sounds bad <laughs> because like, but the thing is though, is that like their Guam itself like is designed to withstand those types of winds. Like, because we are in, like, the, that part of the Pacific where typhoons happen, like, the house that my parents are staying in is concrete, has typhoon shutters that are made of metal, you know, like, they're doing what they can to prepare and just, like, hoping that it doesn't get worse than that. Um, they're, what's interesting and the un, un, uh, the un, uh, foreseen, un, un, unforeseen things, right, is the fact that there has not been a typhoon of this magnitude that has hit the island for 20 years. Um, almost wow. almost like, I mean, the last time I was, I, I experienced a typhoon like this was when I lived there over 20 years ago. So there's an entire generation of like young Chamorro, Micronesian, Guamanian people that like have never experienced a typhoon like this. And that to me is a mind fuck because like it's that's like yeah. 10, 20 years. It's two generations of folks. Um, and you so like when the power goes off and there's like no internet, like what the fuck is going to happen? Because like I fully remember like growing up and there being like no power, water, cable, nothing for like weeks and surviving because and survive, yeah, of course. Yeah, and surviving you didn't grow so, up with, yeah. Exactly. And so, like, when your device is not only a source of, like, a necessity for just, like, everyday living, but also a necessity for entertainment, like, when that is just turning into, like, a brick of glass, because, you know, you're not going to have any power to charge anything, like, what's going to happen? So, that'll be interesting to see. But, like, where they're staying with my my sister and my brother-in-law, they're very prepared. He's got a generator. Like, it's all, they are going to, as long as, like everything happens the way that it should. And there's no super duper like unexpected surprises. They're going to be fine. But what I want folks to consider and think about is just like, you know, there are people who like the, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a huge unhoused population in the same way that like San Diego has, but like there are folks who still live in structures that are not reinforced by concrete or, you know, um, are like are like will get blown away in like 120, yeah. 115 miles an hour winds. So they have to wow. take shelter and all of that stuff too. So just keep those folks, keep the Marianas in your in your thoughts and prayers. As of this going out, when this episode goes out, like they will start, they will start to be in it. Um, and the eye of the storm is like 25 miles in diameter. Which is like, and Guam's like thirty, right? So like, when the eye of the storm passes over the island, um, is actually it kind of is a good thing because I was talking to my mom right before this recording, and she was saying that like when the when the eyes are smaller, that's usually when they're most intense because the storm is most intense around the eye, but it, when okay. they're larger, it's gonna like be really intense and then stop for a second, and then when it stops, you still shouldn't go outside and then keep going. So hopefully, it either gets diverted, you know, because there's still enough time that it could divert away, but it won't linger and they'll be okay. So just sucks. My parents were like, just arrived last Thursday and like already less than a week later. Uh, But hopefully that means that with, um, 
hopefully that means that they'll be fine when they uh that we won't have another one at least for the rest of the year yeah wow well i hope everybody stays safe and you know keep us updated we'll do I, you know um wow well that makes everything else that i was going to talk about there no <laughs> you know it's like it's the, like it's wow. when i went in 2018 i was delayed by a day because there was a threat of a typhoon that didn't make it to guam at all but okay. you know but like it actually damaged uh caused a lot more devastation on the northern mariana islands but people were just like reaching out to me because i was posting about it and i was people reaching out like oh my god are you okay and i'm like guys it's not like it's not like I'm like trapped in the ninth ward and it's Hurricane Katrina, right? Like, right. <laughs> we, like, it, we have like, it's tomorrow. People of a certain generation, uh, like, uh, know how to handle and deal with these things. Um, even the government, like, you know, that's the other thing is that the government is asking for preempt, preemptively asks for a state of emergency to be declared. So that way there's access to resources and things can happen sooner and we can, we can make it through. But um, again, like it kind of surprises me because it's like, oh yeah, 20 years, but like with the climate, with climate change and everything, we, we really don't know how like a storm like that could affect now because we don't have data uh, from the last 20 years from storms because we haven't had any. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, again, I just hope that everybody is safe there. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Joshua, Crazy. how was Poland? Uh, Poland was good. I was going to say, I forgot to mention at the top of the show that we are a day late today because yesterday was oh. Harvey Milk Day and we yes. wanted to uh, kind of have a moment for that. And also it was World Goth Day. So I hope that you had a very unhappy World Goth Day. <laughs> yes. It's also apparently, uh, it was apparently National Paloma Day, like the drink. Oh, Okay. So I hope that like you were a queer person uh wearing black drinking like tequila and uh grapefruit juice. I love that. I love that. That sounds like living. Yeah. Um but uh no, Poland was awesome. Um it was, you know, what I expected. <laughs> Um, I don't want to give like way too much detail about it away because I am kind of working on a little secret project about uh, it. Um, yes, secret. for my school and, um, you know, as sort of a, you know, um, pro- project. That's the best word for it. So I, I won't, I don't want to get too much into it, but it was extremely profound. Uh, obviously, we went to uh, Poland. I was there for study abroad for my master's in marriage and family therapy program that I'm in, uh, which I'm very excited today. I got my um, uh, invite to officially uh, start the process for my practicum assignment. So I'll, I'll, I'll start seeing clients. So watch out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> people She's out coming there. for you. She's going to get your mental health snatched. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we hope. Um but I, I was there for that program. So we went, uh, it was part of the March of the Living, which is this, you know, annual march that they have, you know, recognizing the survivors and, and those that we lost during the Holocaust, specifically the 6 million Jewish um, people affected. Uh, and then, you know, a lot, we also had lots of conversation about the other 5 million people that were affected uh, in the Holocaust, you know, during our trip and uh, but, you know, we went to Auschwitz and Birkenau, we went to Madonic, which is like basically 
completely um auschwitz is, uh, and birkenau look a little different because the nazis knew that they were uh troops were coming so they attempted to destroy some of it uh prisoners had already destroyed one of the uh crematoriums uh, they blew it up but in Birkenau, but the Nazis blew up some other parts. Uh, but Madonic, they were surprised. So uh, it still exists. Like, and they were like, oh, yeah, they could like turn the ovens on, you know, like they're, if, if they, you know, wanted to like brush off the dust, I guess. So Did that they tell you that when you were inside? Yes. Yeah. 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 Ugh. They were like, it's pretty much still fully operational in the sense of, you know, it's preserved uh, yeah. because they were taken by surprise. Uh, which is very important because there's a lot of evidence left behind there that uh, can prove certain things like the use of Cyclone B and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, the the crematorium, the, the ovens that are there. Uh, so, yeah. Um, you, yeah. So we went there. We went to like Treblinka. We went to the Teochen Forest. You know, we went to these sites of these mass graves. So there was a very, very heavy, obviously uh, heavy element to the to the trip. And it was a whole group of therapists, clinicians. So some of us, most of us, I think, were masters in marriage and family therapy, but several were doctoral candidates in clinical psych or mm-hmm. in um, there, there's a, a PsyD in, uh, in, in marriage and family therapy as well. So it was kind of a mix. Uh, but, you know, so you're kind of taking this group of people who are already sort of prepped for ra- a radical, empathetic experience and uh, putting them in these situations. So it was it was very, very deep work. We were we every day we were doing these process groups after what we saw, you know, kind of really digging into our feelings. Um, the trip was also as much as it was about survivors, it was also about the perpetrators and the bystanders. So we were kind of constantly putting ourselves in those shoes as well. And considering what biases we have uh, that could be amplified uh, to mm. to that extent. Uh, do we all have that? Is everybody hold all the, does everybody hold all the capacity for good and all the capacity for evil? Because these sorts of questions, you know, how do we get to those places and how do we prevent it from happening? You know, how do we have conversations about what community brings, uh, what can we learn from the survivors and the children, children, children of survivors, Mm -hmm. uh, cause, uh, stress and all affects the body in really interesting ways. So uh yeah but i mean and at the same time so of course very super heavy going through all of this but at the same time it's also really some very amazing moments you know we danced in one of the temples uh very spontaneously it was like you know these groups of jewish people that were there on this trip as well Ten thousand people came from all over the world to attend the march and and to be part of this wow um, event so we were kind of an outlier group because we were there as like a psychology school uh so a lot of people were really interested in why we were there and what we were doing because a lot of us weren't even jewish uh so that was really interesting and even for some of my classmates who were jewish were sort of like you know yeah when i signed up why would non-jews do this but it was very very powerful so anyways there was this spontaneous like dancing and singing in in one of the temples and or one of the synagogues in a in a shtetl in poland and that was very beautiful and high energy and like ecstatic and, and really incredible. And we were kind of have moments like that, you know, being swept up like the march was very much about surviving and happiness and you don't know, then to be concentration camp. <laughs> so it was like yeah. very emotionally uh an emotional roller coaster. I mean, there's it's like it was the world's biggest, perviest, you know, loopiest roller coaster times 10. 
I mean, it was just, it was a very, very intense experience. And I feel very connected to all the people that I went with. And I, you know, we're kind of bonded, I think for life, (laughs) trauma bonded in some ways. Wow. Um, But I also feel like I learned a lot and I'm looking forward to, especially with the practicum side I'm at is going to be working uh, in the community setting in county mental health, where I think what I learned, I can kind of apply. So I'm, yeah, it was great. It was a very, very good trip. Um, but I was very happy to come home from it, have a couple of days off. And then I went to Romania with Elvira, but we're going to save that story for a whole special little mini episode. So stay tuned for that. I don't, I, 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 there's just too much to go in there. We need a whole episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Crazy. Really uplifting first half. We got like I know, disasters yeah. and genocide. Yeah. Yeah. Look at us. Uh, <laughs> And then we're going to be going to the Deadlands. So it's yeah. just, it's a very, <laughs> very, uh, we're doing a very go- a dark episode. But, uh, you know, if anything, if I, if I can encourage you, if you have the power, dear listener, if you have the money, if you have the ability to go to Poland and see these places, we are running out of survivors. In the past, the March of the Living had like 700 survivors. This year, there were 45, I believe. So we're losing people who were witnesses uh, to it, you know, in person. And even a lot of those survivors, those these are people who were children, you know, so they don't even sometimes have, you know, full, complete memories. So we're losing that. And we live in a world where people want to deny that the Holocaust happened at all. So, yeah. um, you know, I worry about these places being erased by some future, you know, government. Yeah, uh, like we've seen have happened. We've seen statues destroyed, religious places destroyed in order to hide history or to change it. So if you can go, go there. Uh, I know it sounds daunting, but there was a lot of hope and a lot of like beautiful things to be learned from survivors and from people doing this work. So if you can go do it, do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I guess with that, We'll take a quick break and we'll be back to uh, turn it back over to Joe as he's continuing to lead us in this uh, exploration of Asian American identity, Pacific Islander identity uh, within within horror with the Deadlands. Meanwhile, in New Jersey. So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, We are here today to discuss the Deadlands. Did I say that? Did I say that uh, dramatically enough? Uh, yeah, that was lovely. Okay. All right. Uh, the Deadlands, a, for a first in cinema history, a feature film that is all spoken in the Maori native language. Um, according this to is I the first? That's what it said. Well, hmm. no, and maybe it was like nominated. I think it was trying to be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was submitted, I think, for Best Foreign Language Film at the 87th Academy Awards. Yes. Uh, but was not nominated. It is um, 
It is a, a film, according to IMDb, that was released in 2014. Um, not to be confused mm. with the 2020 show that's on Shutter. Right. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, so Deadlands, after a tribe is slaughtered through an act of treachery, the teenage son of a slain Maori chieftain looks to avenge his father's murder and bring peace and honor to the souls of his loved ones. Joshua, I've not seen this as well. So Joshua, we're going to start, as we always do, with uh, someone other than me talking. Uh, someone other than the host, the steerer of the ship. Mm-hmm. The uh, steerer, Joshua. I like that. Joshua, what did you think of The Deadlands? Um, well, I actually, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, you know, my first note that I wrote was like, so it's like Hamlet kind of by way of like the predator slash prey. <laughs> At least that's where I thought it was kind of going. Yeah. Uh, and then of course it, you know, it, 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 spoiler alert, the creature haunting the Deadlands turns out to just be a person. Um, a man. He's just a man. Yeah. He's just a man. He's just one man. And I've had so, so many. many. Men before. before, In In very many ways. So many ways. (laughs) Um, This is what we get for recording on Easter. So, spoiler alert, production. Production showing through. the part. This part of the conversation was recorded on Easter. So, Jesus is on my mind. Jesus Um, (laughs) is. You are always on my mind, Christ. Anyways, um, yeah. So, in watching it, yeah, I was like, oh, oh, wow. this is fun. Obviously not exactly Hamlet. Cause like the, you know, the brothers aren't, um, they're, they're not brothers, you know, yes. the guy, they, they're like warring chiefs. And, uh, well, I guess maybe kind of like the North man too. Uh, you know, it's like that kind of story, which is Hamlet, right? Kind of. Um, that Anyways. I don't know. I've not seen the North man. Okay. It's all right. We don't, we don't, we don't have to, you're not going to hold that against this. me. Are you? Yeah, no, I'm not. Okay. So anyways, point is, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I liked um, um, the action sequences. I mean, doing that kind of like stunt fight choreography in the woods, you know? Like, but not just geez. the woods, right? Like the fucking New Zealand Atoro. Uh, sorry, for the sake of for the sake of the rest of this series of the rest of this show, we will refer to New Zealand as its Maori name, which is Aotearoa. So, Aotearoa. okay, Aotearoa, I like right? learning. We're learning, I know, right? Um, uh, because it's like filmed in like wild Aotearoa, right? And also, like, there are places in it that just look like the hobbits. It, it's very because that's where they filmed the Lord of the Rings series. So, like, mm. when they're like walking through the you know, running through the Deadlands, and you see like, um, the young boy, uh, hiding from them it's kind of it's giving like hiding from the ring wraiths you know frodo hiding from the nazgul i've not um seen any of that i read the hobbit okay um but that's the only that's only but i listen let's just say that i totally trust you on that okay wonderful you should trust me (laughs) (laughs) but yes it is just the fight choreography and we'll talk a little bit more about like the actual fighting and the weapons and stuff um yeah oh that was the other thing i was going to mention those weapons are freaking crazy like how they're like smacking people with this thing that was like whoa this is this is intense and i mean that kind of like battle you know like yeah like it it was sorry it was probably the most riveting part of the whole thing because like 
not only are we watching, like, not only is it A, very violent, and B, like, very visceral because of how, like, you know, primal the kind of uh, fighting is, but, yeah. like, just also kind of seeing traditional Maori, like, not only weaponry, but, like, fighting style and just all of that is really, really cool and fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have uh, the Deadlands, uh, I- the cast. Uh, it was very difficult for me to keep everybody straight, except for, like, the one guy who is the big bad, right? Uh, Yrepa. <laughs> like, yeah. Yrepa. Um, so you have uh, Hongi, according to IMDb, you have Hongi, played by James Ralston, who's the young boy. Lawrence uh, Makaure, who plays the warrior, the ghost, the uh, the man who bears the mark of the tribe of the dead tribe, which I thought was really cool. Um, yeah, his like leg. Yeah, which was so so fascinating because when in that first battle, when he comes out and you see his leg, they all like freak the fuck out. And I was like, oh my god, does he have like necrotizing fasciitis? Is that why they're freaking out? I'm like, no, he's <laughs> he's just marked as the as the sort of the last person of the. Uh, of the de- of the dead tribe, and then you have Tikohe Tuhaka, uh, who plays Wairepa. Um, yeah, what? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the performances, right? So, like, beautiful. First of all, beautiful Pacific Island men. <laughs> um, yeah, there are uh, definitely. Um. And there are definitely some menses in this worth uh, staring at. <laughs> All the Not staring. to fetishize the the Maori, but um, you know, yeah, there's some there's some sexy men there. <laughs> so much, so much sexiness. I was just like captivated by like beautiful brown buttocks, like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the do tongue not name action. This episode that oh I will not God. name the episode. No, no way. <laughs> but the the tongue action, right? So like that's oh, also yeah. part of the the warrior culture. The warriorness is like the what they're doing with their tongues to make themselves look more menacing. Um, yeah, yeah. Just uh, I mean, like you got to know who to uh, aim that at because some of us are going to be like, don't yes. threaten me with a good time. Yes. Um, it's no, like I'm terrible. I'm simultaneously aroused and scared for my life. Yeah. And it's the same feeling and I and I, I think that's beautiful. <laughs> yes. But yeah. um the so like the point of it right is that like what uh, the thing I also love is that it is very Shakespearean so it's funny that you bring up Hamlet because it is very Shakespearean in that this whole thing starts because of a misunderstanding. Well, mm-hmm. not so much a misunderstanding as like no a lie, like a purposeful, a, like a, a blatant yeah. lie. Yeah. Um. So the Tane, who is the chieftain of the, uh, let's just call them the good tribe, uh, allows <laughs> Wairepa and the protagonist his, tribe. The protagonist tribe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, allows Wairepa and his men to go. Um, to basically go to where their ancestors died after the last mm-hmm. great battle and yeah. to honor them and give them rest uh, as of, out of respect for, 
for those who were killed in battle. They haven't like gone to that area. They haven't farmed it. They haven't done anything in that area because it is like, you know, sacred ground now because that is where their ancestors live. And there's a lot of like, as a Pacific Islander person, obviously from a Micronesian culture as opposed to a Polynesian culture, the idea of like the ancestors inhabiting the land, the ancestors are with us, are very much a yeah. part of like Chamorro culture. Um, in fact, the the conceptions of like there wasn't really a conception of like heaven and hell in this in the same way, in that like heaven was in the ground because like food comes from the ground, you return to the ground when you when you die, and then hell is like above you because the elements, the storms, bad weather, it all comes from above. But the idea of like sacred jungle space being like where the ancestors are and the land is inhabited by the ancestors is something that is very much in my culture. Like there are parts of the, like in, when you go into the jungle or you're doing like hikes and stuff, like before you enter the ancestors realm, you must ask for permission. Um, We call our, the ancestors, we call them the Tatomotna, the people from before. Um, and you must ask them for permission either otherwise they will they will come for you they will literally make you sick and the stories that i have of my uh of like my that my family has experienced that my dad has experienced of like being in situations where like the ancestors have come for them right uh, and it's it works kind of both ways cuz like the ancestors can come for you if they don't like you but they can also come for you if they do like you and you're just not like attuned to the fact that it is that you have their favor. Right. So you have to be like on your guard and paying attention. So like hiking for me, like people say like, Oh, I love to go hiking. And I'm like, in the woods. And like, you see <laughs> people are just like, you know, hooting and hollering and drinking and carrying on. And in my mind, I'm just kind of like y'all, the fucking ancestors, the, the ancestors <laughs> of the people who inhabit this land, like they are pissed off and they're going to come for and fuck your shit up. So that being said, <laughs> that being said, Joshua, uh, did you, how did you like relate to that at all in terms of like the ancestor worship of it? You know, what's interesting is I, I didn't really, I was thinking more about some of the um, like philosophical things in the film. Like uh, there's a conversation about even um, small things can be useful uh, mm -hmm. There was another thing that was like, no nobility, just politics. Yes. Um, yes. You know, so like I was kind of wrapped up in like thinking about those sorts of ideas and how, sure. you know, again, I'm not exactly sure, you know, at what time in vague Polynesia, yes. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to be. Um, I know it's in New Zealand, but again, it, it's like... Um, Aotearoa, Aotearoa. Aotearoa, yes. Sorry. Yes. Aotearoa, yes. Thank you. Um, you know, but it's, um, you're, so I just found myself kind of thinking more on those, uh, on those thoughts and, and thinking like how much like stuff has not changed. Mm -hmm. We still kind of have like, these things are so inherent in like human beings, like this quest for land, this quest for space, you know, honoring our dead in different ways, you know, sort of like the, the building blocks of like culture sure. and society and, you know, how these, um, 
yeah, these concepts are still very, so present. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, because I'm, I mean, it's probably a lot of things. One, I'm an atheist. Yes. yes. (laughs) I don't often consider, you know, the thoughts around the dead, um, in, in a, in like a non-physical sense, you know, like, um, and probably being a white person, you know, like we're taught like through such a different lens growing up, you know, sure. about like, you know, it's like you don't figure out like colonialism and imperialism until much later in life. Yeah. So I just wasn't raised with these thoughts of like living on the land of the dead, you know, or living on like tribal lands and things like that. I mean, it was a little bit in my because of our um, our family history and like my grandmother would sometimes talk about that. And like I've said before, like Thanksgiving was one of the first things like I thought of as like political because it's like in our family, it was kind of known like we would do Thanksgiving and such, but there was an awareness of like the bullshit of it, (laughs) you know, of like these historical lies Um, because, you know, my family, at least my grandmother tried, you know, claimed I haven't done like the ancestry stuff. So sure. Mostly because, like I've said before, I'm worried that if I do, you know, somebody, you know, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't want to be, like, I don't, I'm weirded out by the whole thing. So I have no idea. It's just like in our family, you know, it was always like, oh, you know, we're from we're, but that's everybody, you know, all everybody yeah. in like America wants to claim some indigenous native thing, <laughs> but it wasn't part, we were not like raised or, or taught like spiritual values around that. Um, what was the question originally? I got like just about ancestors, <laughs> the idea of like ancestors in general, you know, like and, tradition is like yeah. being, you know, bossed around by dead people. <laughs> so it's like, I don't really often, you know, I love I that. Want, I don't want to put a lot of like value on that. Like personally, uh, you sure. know, the world, we have to deal with the world as it is. So I'm always kind of uncomfortable with things like that. Obviously there's a lot of like, um, you know, masculinity kind of stuff in this, sure. and like, you know, kind of pushing these sorts of like patriarchal ideas, uh, at least within the context of this film of. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I get, I wasn't, I didn't really um, consider it too much. I, I mean, I was wondering how much we're supposed to believe is like, because at the beginning of the film, it's like, oh, you can't go into the Deadlands, like a monster haunts it and, uh, you know, protects that place. Um so, and then it's like revealed to be a man, but he's like got these like kind of shaman, witchy wives. And Who take mushrooms. Like, right. Yeah. And he's um, a cannibal of some sort. So he's kind of ogre-ish in a way. It's like he's kind of filling that. Um, like I keep threatening to do like a whole series on trolls. Like this is that kind of idea too, of like a, you know, the troll haunting, you know, a bridge or something not to exactly make that, you know, but it's that like concept is um, again, I think in like all cultures, you know, some kind of man eating creature that protects a a place. Um, And then you kind of have these sequences where um, Hongi um, is like talking to like his, spirit you know his grandmother i think yes i uh, she Um, keeps saying like my son at rest talking about his father yeah um and you know so they're like those sorts of sequences that i'm like are these meant to be you know like is this meant to be a supernatural film or these things that they're imagining that's kind of that's a little muddy 
Um, sure. You know, so I mean, I get, you know, in that context of watching the movie, you do have to consider that, like, regardless of what I think of ancestral um, lands, it's a very serious thing for the people in this film and like defending them is, is, is serious business. And um, um, yeah, I just think it shows like that cultural divide among like, you know, various nations and cultures of like family, what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like yeah. that. Yeah. That I just, I think at the end of the day, that's like a horror show to me. <laughs> like the idea that like your parents will dictate what you do or your grandparents or people who aren't even around anymore, they're dead. Um, you know, and we have to like somehow, like I have to make choices in my life that honor what they would have wanted, even if the whole world sure. has changed. Uh, so I feel like, yeah, that's, it's just kind of like a foreign <laughs> literally and figuratively i guess um concept to me and like sort of how i was raised because i think here we're taught because it's so individualistic it's like as long as you do better than how your parents did yeah and sometimes that takes like abandoning family or abandoning certain responsibilities to like sure prioritize resource acquisition (laughs) or or the legacy the tradition and the legacy that you must uphold is to be constantly advancing your own position. So yeah, like yeah, you yeah. need, which to I mean, sure. I guess it's kind of the same. Yeah. You want to get, get more land. You want to expand your tribe and expand, you know, your people and you protect them. So, I mean, it's not that different, but I feel like the, you know, the values are pl- like where that value is placed, maybe sure. a little different, more individualistically <laughs> versus collectively. Sure. And that's, and I just, really I good. do struggle that's a good way to put it is the individualistic conception of culture versus uh, which is like cis modern Western white culture, as opposed to uh, the um, collectivist, which is, you know, Brown people specifically more like tribal, the further away from America that you get. Yeah. I mean, to some degree, because there are other obviously um, cultures that are, you know, more collectivist that way. And we should be, I mean, I'm not saying that these are good values to have. In fact, like, I mean, again, I think it, it like, I would like a balance because I think it's like, it's too much to say you need to, because again, like as far as any of us really truly know uh, that we have like facts for, we have this life. Uh, You can have faith, you can have belief in whatever you want. But as far as like that faith is the belief in something that you cannot exactly prove. So as far as we know, this is the only life that we have. So should we sacrifice it at the expense of our own happiness for others? I don't know about that, you know, but should we make choices as a group that benefit us as a whole? Like, yes, obviously, I firmly believe that is a, you know, pinko, commie, socialist queer or whatever they call whatever other words they're screaming at us from their the irony uh, of faith, cars driving by the irony of faith is is that it necessarily admits doubt right yeah yeah um but again i mean within the context of this movie <laughs> obviously this this is the guiding like literally guiding spirit sure you know trying to help him um like avenge his family and um you know, and ultimately also like along the way, 
it's sort of like that idea of like when like the systemic so you know dysfunction comes from like systemic dysfunction so it's like if we have people among us who are isolated who are alone who are violent who are aggressive all of these things it's like a collective um unconscious like sure. choice or something to have that happen so sure. i also like in this film how we see how um the warrior because he's not really given a name but the no. you know the this this character who you know he goes to to help him on this like mission of vengeance who also has his own motives obviously because he wants to protect the area where he's from because he's um he's living his life totally in fear of the dead as well because he doesn't think they're going to accept him and and guide him through to the afterlife so i did really like there's a really beautiful kind of arc to that character you know who starts off you know sort of this is like scary monster creature um envisioned by the others and then when he meets him he's like oh he's just a man and then you know he helps him and then at the end like hungi like accepts him into his tribe and helps him to like pass on and and yeah. move to the next you know the next realm or the next you know what it, wherever you know his afterlife is um and i really i like that and like that's something that we have to like figure out as a society how to like call you know people back in and and help heal and and um you know make these sorts of like changes that aren't just like punitive or punishing sure although again in this film he is it's a choice so there's a lot you know i'm just thinking about other things <laughs> the warrior gives like we all have that like scary uncle right like that scary uncle vibe where it's just like it's the one uncle where we, for whatever reason, we don't quite know why it is that we are afraid of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but like you know, as then as you get older, you realize that like, oh, scary uncle's just misunderstood, and that right. he's sad. But he's actually sad. As, yeah, yeah. So, like, I definitely had scary uncle. Like, I, I that maybe that's the title of this episode is scary uncle vibes. Uh, <laughs> so I think that like that really plays into this idea of this man who is misunderstood. Um, the cannibal aspect of it all is really interesting because, like, cannibalism, eating eating the dead is definitely... Eating uh, warriors after battle is definitely something that um, is documented as part of Maori warrior culture. Um, mainly because... And we're going to... This is to transition a little bit. Mainly because of this concept of mana uh, or mana. Mana, I think it's how they pronounce it. And so as I'm watching this, right, like the word that they kept using, Wairepa kept using is like glory. Like mm -hmm. in the in the subtitle translation is that every time you hear the word mana, you talk about the they use the word glory, which like is not a is not a like direct translation because <clears throat> the Maori conception of mana is actually much is very vast. So let's talk a little bit about that, right? So like the meaning, I'm going to read from a uh, from an article from New Zealand Geographic. Um, where? Let me see where it is. Uh, let's see. Uh, there are more cautionary notes in Maoridom dealing with mana than you could shake the proverbial stick at. It is a source of both personal and collective strength, pride, and identity. 
mishandled, it becomes the bearer of shame, ridicule, and embarrassment. If mana allows us to walk tall, then it also casts a long shadow, humility. To write about mana can be likened to picking blackberries. It's not a job for the barefooted. The fruit is sweet but fragile. And don't upset your neighbor. Stick to your own patch. In other words, draw on your experiences, not those of others. Uh, that was like the introduction to this uh, to this article. And it's interesting because the so the like warrior conception of mana is the idea that like it is energy it is life force it is also literally honor and glory and i think that's why like the closest english translation you can get to is glory uh it's the reason why like why repa goes to the deadlands is to absorb the mana from the from his ancestors it is the reason why, like, he is moving through. The the only way to go through is because you will not deny me the like the the energy, the honor, the life force, you know, in this way. But it also is like that kind of. I felt it was important to bring that into this because at the very end, like the whole resolution of the film. So, spoiler alert for a film from 2014, <laughs> but. <laughs> In the final battle, uh, Hongi looks like he's about to land the killing blow to Wairepa, and Wairepa's like, "You're gonna send me, like, you're gonna, you're gonna send me off to my ancestors. Like, I'm gonna right, have my, a, a I'm gonna have my the warriors. I'm gonna have yeah, my mana right. is going to come from this. So, like, I'm happy because this is what I want. And instead, uh, Wairepa, uh, Hongi." does a thing where it's like, actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to spare your fucking life. <laughs> right. And your whole tribe and your father are going to be, you're, you're going to be thanking me because I have spared your life. Now your mana is tied up in mine because I right. have seen your life. I have like spared your life force. And thus I am now honored by you living. And the only way for you to get out of this is to die. But then you would have to die by your own hand. You know, it's just like, it was really beautiful. And mm -hmm. then he just walks off alone in shame. No, like no men, all his men have died. He, yeah. he like walks off in shame, but it's not so much shame because like he still has his life and he did right. fight. He did fight valiantly, but now he like has to go and basically kind of not really sing the praises, but like offer thanks for the fact that he was spared by a child. Right. Right, yeah. It was interesting because they kept um, the subtitles kept calling him a dwarf, which I don't know yeah. if that was a mistake or if it was meant to be young person or small person or if yeah. it was just the warrior's way of like belittling. belittling. Yeah. yeah, so that I mean, because that was that was that was interesting. But yeah, exactly. You're right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a very cool moment where it sort of comes um, to him, you know, because it's like you're going through this movie the whole time. The whole point is to get vengeance and to uh, kill this person. So that's kind of what we're on the, yeah, you know, or the person who made the decision <clears throat> yeah. to uh, do what, uh, you know, kicks off the whole events of, of the murder of like Hungi's um, family and father and tribe. Whole tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so for it to kind of come down th to that and it's very, um, yeah, it's such like a fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, because like why thinks that, you know, he's, 
he's got this kid beat because like, yeah, I, I'm absorbing, I got the mana from my ancestors, um, whose resting place I've essentially desecrated. I am, I've killed like the people who killed them. So I got the mana from your dad and from, you know, all the male warriors in your fucking place. And then if you kill me in battle, I get mana. I like my family gets mana and uh, from that as well. Right. So anyway, I win. It's just like any way you win. Uh, and you don't get your revenge if I live. So he's counting on the he's counting on the kid to just, you know, for Hongi to just be like wanting that revenge. And then at the end, it's like full circle. And it's it was quite I, I was really happy with the ending because I was just like, oh my god, yeah. is he gonna let him live? And this is also one of the like movie things where the villain just needs to not fucking talk, right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they just need to stop monologuing if yeah. they w- actually want to get what they what it is that they want. Well, I like how you pulled that article in. That's where we should have started, Joe. That was a good uh good concept, a way to sort of um talk about the film and within that context uh instead of you know my uh <laughs> going well, over I, here with stuff like well that. i wanted to <laughs> like i wanted to a show you that i wanted to show you that i was paying attention because he just because he kept just kept saying like the word mana and it is like mana and then glory and i was like no right. that's i know that's not what it is um so and so More the it's reason like life force and like exactly you know, pop, like you, you know, know yeah chi like chi chi life yeah. force you know the inner the ka yeah so what's interesting is that like the concept of mana right is something that I learned about do you remember you remember Spike TV <laughs> the channel the like channel <sighs> for men. Yeah, you know, obviously I never watched that. I, I was going to say... Because it always never... had shit on it that I was like, yeah, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> so, like, Spike TV is, like, peak aughts culture, right? Like, it's yeah. peak, like, you know, I was in high school. I'll give you that. <laughs> and they had this show on there called The Deadliest Warrior. And what they would do is they would take experts from two historical types of warriors. Um, and then through a series of like thought experiments, decide which warrior in a, if they were to be faced together in battle, would who would have won? And <clears throat> so they would do like, you know, the samurai versus like uh, the Persian, what is it? The Persian um immortal versus like a Comanche warrior or hmm. like the samurai versus like an Aztec jackal, like a jackal warrior, you're a jaguar warrior, something like that. So the concept of mana and Maori, and and now we're getting into the Maori weaponry of it all, right. comes from a comes from an episode where it was the deadliest warrior, Maori warrior versus a Shaolin monk, and what they would do in the show is they would do like. They would do like, okay, a short range weapon, a mid range weapon, and then like a special weapon, and then do like several quote unquote tests. Like, this is also peak like Mythbusters era. So they would do like, you know, ballistic gel dummies and like, okay, which one on a scale of whatever to whatever is the most deadly? They would put it into a computer algorithm 
And then at the very end of it, you would get like a 10 minute, like reenacted quote unquote battle scene between like the Shaolin monk and the Maori person. But like, what if they were just dropped in there? Um, and so it was really fascinating because like, it was like the ultimate, like, if your bros were drunk, like drinking beers in the backyard and talking about who the, who the badass fighter would be. But um, this goes into the links I sent you, uh, Joshua, about the the weaponry. They do a really good job of like also talking about the different weapons and the weapons that they talked about in that episode are in this film, like that they use. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about, let's go first to the spear. So the, the Tayaha, the traditional uh, spear weapon, it, so it has like a pointy end, and then it also has like this slicing club on the other end. It's the spear that like primarily uh, everyone is holding and doing like, you know, really fun choreography with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that like, not only like the idea that there's no metal, right? So like there's really no metal. This isn't like I um I don't know in the anthropological historical context, but like I don't know if this culture had like metallurgy <laughs> yet. Mm-hmm. Um there is a weapon that we see that the warrior uses that has it's kind of like a um almost like a pickaxe. Yeah. <laughs> in the in the first big battle, but like most of the weapons are like made from wood and stone. And so yeah, well, that's have, what it looks like. It looks like he like hewed it from rock or something. But yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not. This is you, you're getting into like uh, like stuff that they, like yeah, I'm super ignorant about you yeah. know weaponry and like fight tactics and such. But and I think it's important to talk about the weapons just because like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. because uh, like the warrior aspect of is something that is still kind of a part of Maori culture today like. They, they're, um, and the idea of like this culture, which is still relatively intact as opposed to most like uh, Pacific Islander cultures, is this idea that they are like the the warriors to defending the land, and so like defending land, defending like because land is life, land is where you're from, and that idea of like who defends land is these warriors, and so the. It was nice to see them use like the traditional weapons. Um yeah. so we have the spear, we have um the one that like was I think in my mind kind of the most dangerous was uh the mere which is the it looked like a giant paddle. Yeah, yeah, like that teardrop shape with the cord on it. That was yeah. neat to watch them like swing them and then like catch yeah. them or throw them that yeah that thing was freaking wicked and what like a blunt force trauma weapon because it wasn't like a knife no or a machete it's no. like it's for the purposes of like bludgeoning you to death yeah because <laughs> like so it's like literally like a club right because it's made yeah. from these are made from jade so like you see that what hungi uses he has his father's after his father dies and it's like yeah, this, they're very beautiful very beautiful um I think like my favorite moment with it is when the warriors is fighting that woman in the river and she has two and she's like, you know, she's like swinging them. Yeah. That was like, that was a cool sequence. Yeah. Yeah. 
So like yeah. the Mede Club, right? Gotta it's love like, a badass woman in that like moment of like, oh my fucking god, fucking bring it on, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like she can, she can fucking, she's gonna kick your ass. She was like Gogo Yubari in yes. like yes. <laughs> um, and so it's this idea, right? That it's like it's a stone weapon, and it's like also like tapered to look like a blade. But again, it's like it's. A blunt, like you said, blunt force trauma. But the idea that like a paddle of like a one foot, two pound paddle of jade coming at you with that kind of force, and then also that narrow shape to just like literally stone slicing through your fucking head, slicing yeah. through your throat, like insanity. How well, yeah, being hit on the side of the head with that. I mean, especially that force by somebody who's yeah. really strong. Like, I mean, it would just like shatter your skull. Like, I mean, it would. Yeah. Well, you would see. I think one of the guys, maybe it was the leader of like the antagonist tribe, um, Warepa, uh, has like a scar. Like, some of them have scars mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. look like injuries from that that have healed. And I was just thinking about like what kind of damage. Like, if you got whacked on like the side of the head with that, yeah, I mean, it would just shatter your skull and then they would hit each you know like hit, hitting in like the rib cage or you know the ankle or you know like like yeah. hard surfaces like ooh, jesus like yeah ooh. yeah it was there were definitely some it's this movie is not overly gory um but th- those sequences of like just hand-to-hand combat violence are yeah. intense. I mean, that's what I wrote. Intense <laughs> yeah. is one of the words. Beautifully choreographed, but yeah, very intense. Yeah. yeah. Although, you know, I always wonder, so here's the thing. In these kinds of movies, and this is like also like in Kill Bill, um, just because now it's on my mind because I was thinking about Gogo with her swinging thing. I, You know, because they're all there. It's like, why don't they all just run up on him all at once? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because like I don't know, like in these movies, how it's like people wait their turn. <laughs> it's like when she's like fighting all those people, like all the crazy eighty eights. It's like if you all just point your swords at her and run at her at once, you'll kill her. I'm sure. But it's like they each wait their turn. I mean, I know, like obviously, if she's dead, then there's no movie. Or like with this, if they kill sure. the warrior, but it just seems to me like is that like is there something like that's not cool? Like again, maybe I'm like ignorant of like a cultural thing. Like if you're gonna fight somebody, like you do it one on one. But I think of like, you know all these like white trash folks that like wait after school and all gang up on one person. Yeah. It's like clearly unfair. It's like, you're like, like, yeah, right. so it's like, is there some kind of like warrior ethic that I'm missing or like, you know, the Yakuza or like samurai, like, you know, Maori warrior or, you know, where it's like, no, each, we, we take him a couple of us at a time. We give him like a fair, (laughs) we give him a fair fight. It's also killing all of us. Yeah. (laughs) Which it's like, okay, so, if you all came, but at they're the beautiful sequences, once, like dancing. I mean, yeah. they're very nice. Yeah. But I'm just like, you could all just jump on him at one time. <laughs> yeah, but I might just be missing something. Like, yeah, that you know, that wouldn't be cool with the ancestors. Yeah, you it's know? like you you're not gonna you're not gonna exact the oh excuse me. Pardon us while 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 Joe uh, chokes well, to death. I know. Let me. Uh, I said something bad about the ancestors are coming. I for was me. gonna say the ancestors are coming for you. <laughs> so uh, the you're not gonna exact the um, the maximum amount of mana from somebody if you're like all doing it at the same time, right? Like oh, you gotta I do see. it one on one. I see. Uh-huh. I, I'm not saying you just that's made a thing. that up. <laughs> I just totally made that up. Um, yeah. The last weapon, which is like 
Which is, uh, to me, one of the, the most interesting one and the most kind of classically Western of the of the three is the Shark Tooth Club, also known as the Liomano, which is oh, okay. like yeah, which is a like a paddle that's a, a wooden paddle where there are shark teeth that are sewn into the edges, so that's like the blade of it. And the reason why I say it's the most interesting and the one I just trying to figure out is that they kept stuffing that paddle in the front of their like garb. And I was like, how the hell are the shark teeth not rubbing up against your crotch? Like, you know, that, that whole thing, which, you know, just, just general curiosity about that. But the cool thing, and the one thing that I remember from one of the things I remember from deadliest warrior is that using this shark tooth paddle, right? Like, if you use it with enough force, the shark teeth will actually come off of the paddle, but then they get stuck in the wounds. So that's the other thing that it's not necessarily about like, it's like they, there's that scene where like he slits the guy's throat and they drink his blood to sustain themselves until they can find water. But like, if you don't get a clean cut like that and you're doing it and the teeth come out, like they'll get stuck in the wound as well too. So which is always interesting because like it's a very clever weapon because it's not just going to injure you and then that's it. It like injures you and then kind of continues to yeah, weaken yeah. you as Prevents, you go on. Yeah, you know, like you have to kind of dig that out and, you know, it's almost like a, um, well, I guess a slingshot would be more like a gun, but, you know, like something that like when you get a bullet lodged in you, you know, you have to like get that out um you know for for certain um injuries i know some yeah. people can yeah. obviously have um something left behind but you know it's just it, it's like yeah it's um, something that just makes the wound even worse and uh harder to treat because you gotta like dig around and pull out this fucking shark tooth <laughs> yeah and depending I, guess, on how, I imagine yeah how <laughs> deep they get in there though like you're gonna have to like go in there and get that yeah. shark tooth out yeah yeah there's another weapon that they use, a longer range weapon that they didn't, I didn't see them use in the movie, but it's like, um, it's like a, you know, like a gig, you know what a gig is? Like when you like gig frogs, uh, have you, okay. Gig frogs. What the hell are you talking You've about? You've never, you never heard that. So it's like, it's a, it, a, a gig is like this. It's a stick that has like a three prongs at the end. And so like when you're hunting frogs, you're gigging, you're gigging them is what you're doing. You're, using that to like basically spear the frogs so it's this like it's a stingray spear i know i've like, done much frog I'm not gigging hunting. frogs but you know i like country music and they talk about some country music they talk I about love this. i'm frogs. like learning so much from you today gigging frogs okay yeah, yeah. so like there's a essentially a like a, a stingray uh, a gig that uses stingray barbs at the end and it's one that like is really bad because like if you get if you get hit with that if you get got by the stingray thing it like the little barbs like come out and like also get lodged but they're very small so not only is it like you know as you pull it out there's also like stuff going in there. it's really bad but you know it sounds it delightful yeah. I, I might have a smile on my face i i don't know if that tells you a little bit about what's going on um. Uh, yeah. So that's the warrior culture, and you know the <sighs> as the, evidenced in this film. <laughs> yeah. Um. To kind of wrap it all up, 
uh, and uh, Joshua, any final thoughts about the Deadlands? <laughs> <laughs> again i really enjoyed the movie i thought it was fun uh in that kind of spirit of like enjoying uh prey or predator you know these sorts of movies um i thought i've only just really begun to appreciate you know i'm not like a huge action film person and this even like it, you know it, it's it's more action adventure than horror. I mean, sure. it started out, I thought it was like the warrior was like a, <clears throat> a ghostly character or like a monster or some kind of like supernatural entity. I mean, they hinted at it because he couldn't, he was like not allowed to die because the ancestors weren't going to accept him. Like that's kind of what he sure. thought was the root of his immortality, but whether or not that's true or not is kind of left up to the viewer. Uh, obviously it has some really good action and sequences and blood and blood drinking and cannibalism. So, you know, these are all horror, horror things. Sure. Um, I'm very glad not to have been a man, um, in this ah. sort of situation. Cause I'm not, you know, I don't know. I, this does not to each their own. Right. Yes. Cause I feel like, you know, my brothers would watch this and like this, like they feel very connected to this kind of energy. Sure. Uh, you know, like my brother talks about, like, you know, we got to protect our fam. Like, I'm a protector of my family, you know, I, you know, this kind of stuff. It's very. And one of your brothers you know. is like a fighter, right? Like a professional. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does like fighting and all of that MMA stuff. Um, you know, whatever. Enjoys being punched, bloody, you know, messy. It's the whole, like the psychology of it, everything. He like talks about it. I mean, it's clear he enjoys it. So, hey, good for him. Um but yeah, I feel like if if I had been born in this time and I had like the same basic personality, I mean, obviously a lot of stuff is like cultural and we learn a lot of things. So who knows who I would have been had I been sure. born in. But uh, it's like, yeah, can I just like hang out with those witches? <clears throat> I, I think you would have been that. like a mystic. Yeah. Like, you would have been, um, <laughs> yeah, some sort of like wise mystic eating mushrooms. That's you, right? Like sitting with the yeah. women, eating mushrooms, talking to the dead. Yeah, I was into them. I was like, can we have a whole movie about them? Can I just be like one of the weird sisters that is hanging out outside this guy's, um, you know, um, <laughs> whatever that like his thing that he built. Yes. Um, you know, that's me. Like the one like I love that like little swampy area where the one woman was like bathing. I'm like, yeah, see, this is the life I want. You know, I'll like make sure your hair looks good. You know, warrior guy. Um, sure. Which, you know, like, all, all the long hair, I'm, I, you must have just loved it. Wonderful, yes, so good. So it's like, you know, I'm willing to do all that, but, like, can I just, like, sit around and not do this running around yeah, hitting people thing? I don't want to do that. No. <laughs> um, I think but I did, I did enjoy the movie. I'm glad that you, uh, you chose it in the end. Thank you. See, we couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything that I wanted to do from not this century. So I chose, <laughs> I made sure to choose a movie uh, that uh, was not in English. So that you had to use subtitles for. So they see that's the fright school, like, you know, curriculum. Is it, are you representing older films? And if you can't, are you representing films that are also not in English? It's our methodology. <laughs> exactly. Uh, trademark Yay. fright school. Um, before we go, the yeah. most horrific line in the entire film was uh fill your daughter's womb with dirt yeah <laughs> or fill your daughter's uterus not even womb like we will fill your daughter's uterus yeah. with dirt so i wondered again if that was uh, weird yeah you know, um subtitling 
there were some choices that I'm like, is that really what that, they're like, saying? I don't know but, they're saying uter- like when politics came up, I'm like, I don't know if you're talking about politics or you're talking about some concept that, you know, you need more words to describe other than just one. But yeah, fill your daughter's uterus with dirt will haunt me forever. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Joshua, thank well, you. Yeah, we have been um, Frogman Joe and the gigs and ah. we appreciate your. Uh, oh we God. appreciate your earballs, uh, and um, <laughs> good night. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.